UX Podcast Episode 177. You're listening to UX Podcast, coming to you from Stockholm, Sweden. I'm James Royal Lawson. I'm a Pad Axbom. With listeners in 173 countries, from Brazil to Singapore. So after four years of preparation and debate, the GDPR, General Data Protection Regulation, was finally approved by, by the EU on April 14, 2016. And the enforcement date for GDPR is coming up. It's May 25, 2018, less than four months away, at which time those organizations in non-compliance will face heavy fines. Now, the important thing to realize is that GDPR will apply to anyone providing products or services to citizens of the EU, as well as anyone monitoring the behavior of EU data subjects. This means that if you are an organization outside of the EU, but have, say, a newsletter that has subscribers in the EU, then yes, the GDPR also applies. And if you are tracking EU visitors on your website, yes, it applies to you too. Also, this is a regulation and not only a directive, meaning that it is a binding legislative act. It must be applied in its entirety across all EU member states. And in fact, ultimately, all 31 EEA nations, which also includes Norway, Iceland and Liechtenstein. To bring us up to speed about the consequences of this for us as digital designers, we're going to welcome back to the show Heather Burns, a digital law and policy specialist. Heather helps digital professionals get to grips with um, with tech regula- technical regulations or tech regulations and political issues, and specifically those that affect the, um, the, the, the crafts that you and I deal with, web design and, and development. And uh, back in episode 84, she helped us tackle the Consumer Rights Directive. And in today's show, she goes even further in shining a light on how we further can and must protect and empower EU citizens and in general, how organizations and designers should reshape their approach to data privacy worldwide. The clock is ticking. I just want to say that is the most legalese intro we've ever done. I know. It's fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) What is GDPR? Well, good morning. Good to see you too. Um, (laughs) So GDPR um, is the overhaul of the data protection system, which has existed in Europe since 1995. And I always think it's absolutely remarkable to reflect on the idea that everything we've ever done on the internet has been done with a set of privacy and data protection rules that were drawn up in 1995 when your data was on a floppy disk, um, your internet was dial-up. Or it, or it was mainframes. It, yeah. was those, it was rooms with kind of giant computers still yeah. and only, only affected big companies. And data flows and exchanges were very restricted and finite. I mean, you literally, you turned on your computer, you logged into the internet, you attached a file to an email, you sent it off, and then you shut everything down. So all things mm. considered, the, the 1995 Data Protection Directive did a pretty remarkable job of lasting as long as it did. They did draft it in such a way that it wasn't too restricted, wasn't too technology specific, so that it could be flexible. 
But even that being said, you know, 20 years, just way too much. So there was a very exhaustive process of revamping um, the data protection directive, which remember, it's the framework for all of Europe, all forms of data, regardless of sector, regardless of use. So what we have um, becomes enforceable on the 25th of May, 2018, which sounds like it's a long time away, but it really isn't. And that is just a brand new framework and set of rules by which we protect our customers, the people we work with, the people in the data. Um, Everything that is in the existing data protection directive carries over into GDPR. So that's really the first thing to remember. None of this is new. There are new provisions within GDPR, upgrades, modernizations, changes that really make it more reflective of the times we live in and the sort of data we exchange. But when you see people saying, this is a new regulation, this is new rules, actually, it's not, it's not. Um, The people who are struggling the most with compliance, whisper it, are the people who weren't doing what they were supposed to do in the first place. Oh, interesting. Yeah, Yeah. and that's actually a really good point because uh, we're noticing how a lot of companies are, they're panicking a bit about um, GDPR. Um, they 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 know they need to do something. They know they can't get out of doing something, but they're they're yeah they're they're actually facing up to that elephant in the room that's been there probably for mm. quite a long time. That they they probably deep down know they shouldn't really have been storing certain exactly. things for a, a certain. And they're sending they one or two employees to go a course. Oh, and don't attend some, and learn. <laughs> yeah. Don't even get me started. And I had an exchange with a colleague who I respect very much this morning and it just it just was a microcosm of all the the issues um he's he's a plugin developer he's a superb plugin developer he has he has a very popular plugin and he's getting gdpr ready he gave me a list of things he wants me to work on with him which is things like um his customer records his checkout process the terms and conditions on his website but nowhere in this message was about the data the plugin itself captures oh okay and i think that's another place where I'm starting to see the focus going in the wrong way. People are very much conscious of how does this affect my business in terms of my internal processes, my record keeping, the ways that I engage with my customers, but they're not thinking about what it's the data, which is what it's supposed to be about. What mm-hmm. data are you capturing about the people who visit your site, use your app? How are you storing it? How long are you storing it for? Who are you sharing it with? What social data are you aggregating it with? Are you protecting it? So there is a lot to think about, and I know it is driving a lot of people around the bend, but it is just such a healthy and necessary process to go through. It's not about bells and whistles and software. It's about sitting down and having conversations. What do we do? How do we do it? What do we take? Where do we store it? Who do we share it with? So it's... It's it's painful growing pains, but it is the healthiest process that any business can go through right now. And it again, it's about protecting the people and the data and nothing else is more important than that. I mean, I, cause it's like one of the main things I work with is, a, is an enterprise product. Um, so there's been a lot of GDPR stuff because it's an enterprise system. Then data from the customers goes through the system we create. Mm-hmm. So so we're not the creators of it. It's not our data. Um, it's the customers' mm-hmm. customers' data and so on. So the the GDPR for me has been I guess quite abstract quite quickly because you've you've got a platform that's used for for things. So for you, you're seeing it as the sort of the contractual issues of 
I'm a contractor, so I have to kind of see this data that's passing through. I'm not doing anything with it. but That's I, one aspect, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. but I see hmm. my client collects this data and they pass it to their clients who use that data. And in order to build the system, I kind of have to see this data in transit. But I'm not doing anything with it. So that's another thing that people are getting a bit hung up on is just in terms of where's my liability? What's my relationship with this? Mm. But what I would say to you is that even if you're just looking at it in transit, there's certain precautions you need to be taking. Like it may be as simple as, for God's sake, not leaving your laptop open in a Starbucks and leaving it for five minutes while you go outside and have a cigarette. Why do people mm. do that? And why do people think that I'm their laptop babysitter? I swear mm. to God, someday I'm going to steal a laptop as a proof of concept. <laughs> Invite me to the court case. I, I want to be there. <laughs> the whole galley will be cheering me on. Oh, like, oh, sick. Um, so it's little <laughs> things like that. But then it's also things like, how many times have we all done this? We've downloaded a database or something to our desktop to get the columns right or to extract data. And we forget mm. about it. And mm, then yes. two, three years later, we find an Excel spreadsheet stored locally that contains people's bank details and mm. I don't know, medical information, things like mm. that. Yeah. Or, you've if, exported, yeah. or you've exported a list of email addresses from, from, a, from a newsletter tool. Exactly. To maybe even just transfer it to another one. Mm -hmm. And, and you, you might have forgotten that you've got the file stored somewhere in Google Docs, and you might have even forgotten to close down the old account. Absolutely. So, and that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, even if you don't forget about it, even if you do download it and then you delete it, it was uploaded to an iCloud service in between there. Mm -hmm. so, that, so it's already happened. And maybe you're using um, a software as a service or an app, even just a cloud storage thing, which, and I'm, I'm not trying to get into a cultural war here, but it may have been developed by an American developer who's never heard of data protection law, has no reference point of his own because there is no overarching data protection and privacy system in the States doesn't even know the constraints and protections that we as Europeans might expect mm. and doesn't see why he needs to follow those rules because he's not in Europe. Mm, this is a really interesting one. So, so yeah, so we're going to, so we could be using tools um, and kind right. of half expecting them to, 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 to mother us, to, to, mm -hmm. to, to be kind of that parent aspect of it and kind of say, well, James, you know, you do realize that you're in Europe and I'm in America, mm -hmm. so you should be aware of this, but they don't do that. So, so yeah, so we've yeah we're walking blind into some of yeah. these tools maybe that they're they're doing stuff that we we. But also, I mean, the the businesses themselves and the owners of these tools aren't aware that they have to follow the laws mm. of their customers' countries, uh, which means that they're not taking precautions. They're not understanding what they have to do. We had the example of Mailchimp uh, going berserk the other month mm -hmm. uh, and not doing the right thing, but. I mean, so what responsibility? I mean, is it my responsibility then as a customer to understand that they don't understand or is it the, is it the company's There's, I seem to be engaging in a lot of cultural diplomacy lately. I was, yeah. I was contacted by a dev just alerting me to the telemetry being passed by a service he uses. Um, the service has been developed and run in America. And the amount of information, and, and this is personally identifiable information that's being passed back is astonishing to the point where this person is is doing the right thing and raising it with the developer as a responsible disclosure issue. 
because one developer's telemetry is actually so data intrusive to a European that it's a level of it's it's a matter for responsible disclosure. So there are a lot of very awkward conversations happening right now that we all have to have. We cannot stick our fingers in our ears and mm. say we don't want to do this. We have a responsibility when we're building a website or a service to make sure that the people and the services that we're passing our data to are protecting that data, either in accordance with the provisions of GDPR or with some sort of publicly accountable data system. And I'm, I'm frightening a lot of people right now by saying that if you depend on a service and you engage with them and you're not happy with their data protection preparations, you need to replace that service because ultimately yes. it can come, it can come rebound onto you. I've got a question though from, if we think from a, from a designer mm -hmm. viewpoint um, or, or just the, the, the whole pr creative process of, of building um, websites or services and, and products and so on, who, who's the one responsible in the design process mm -hmm. for thinking about data privacy. Mm -hmm. I mean, example would be if, if at the beginning of the project you're, you're maybe having a design studio or a brainstorming session or some kind of workshop where you're, you're, you're um, maybe coming up with ideas. It often, often happens that you're trying to have that kind of open-minded approach at the beginning of a, um, a discovery phase where you're trying to think yeah. of new things. Um, and some of, the, some of the, the, the maybe, as a UX designer, something that you think is the best solution for the user experience, perhaps involves connecting data points together to enable you to deliver a certain experience. It's interesting because so, um, every audience I give to, I get to cater this talk ever so slightly differently. And when I'm speaking to designers, um, front end people, from a UX perspective, the two aspects of GDPR I like to emphasize to them are privacy impact assessments and the privacy by design principles. Privacy impact assessments are one of those things that, again, it shouldn't have to be a law. This is something you should be doing anyway. The privacy impact assessment is when you sit down before you've done a single click of work and you talk about what data is this project going to take? Why are we taking it? What are we doing with it? How are we protecting it? How are we minimizing it? Are we, you know, is it all encrypted? Is it all stored? Who are we passing it to? What would happen if this data fell into the wrong hands? What would happen if there was a breach? And that needs to involve everyone. It needs to involve your front end, your UX, your back end, your developers, your business strategy, um, your managers, possibly even, just my, maybe even, your lawyer. But it shouldn't, it's not a matter, matter of, you know, this is what the law says. It's about getting those questions out into the open and thinking all of the horrible what ifs and the contingencies. And all of that needs to be documented. There's no template for a privacy impact assessment. Every organization can create their own to their own needs. However, in the event of a concern over privacy, whether that's a consumer question or a data breach, that PIA document actually is accountable to someone like a data protection regulator. So if you've designed some sort of data slurping, privacy stomping app that ultimately backfires on you, the first thing your European data protection regulator is going to say to you is show us your PIA. And ah, if mm. your PIA is insufficient or doesn't exist, mm. you know how you now have two problems. That's a general rule for everything in GDPR, document or it didn't happen. 
document your thought processes, document the actual processes you do, document the conversations you had where you arrived at things, even if it's just a post-it note to say, pair and James had a meeting and we decided this thing, that's documentation. So you can get lots of assistance from your data protection regulator about developing a PIA. Every regulator in Europe is coming out with really great guidance and advice as fast as they can because data regulators are overworked and understaffed. But in the UK, the ICO, the, the data protection regulator, they're producing outstanding guidance. France, CNIL, has produced good stuff. The Irish Data Protection Commissioner is finally catching up because the complexities of company registration in Europe mean that Ireland actually handles data protection for all of Europe because of all these companies. Mm -hmm. I can't say I know what Sweden's up to, but I'm sure you're going to Google it when we're done. So (laughs) data protection regulators are actually there. They don't bite. They're friendly. They want to work with you. They want to be constructive. They want to help you prevent problems from ever happening in the first place. So get in touch with them for help about learning what's in a PIA. Mm. So that's the first aspect of front end and UX where GDPR matters the most. And the second is called privacy by design. GDPR requires privacy by design and data protection by default. And some of you listening will probably have heard of PBD, privacy by design. It's a framework that's actually been around since the 90s but it's always been an optional framework that anyone can use. GDPR now actually requires PBD. So there are a number of principles within the PBD framework that you need to follow. And again, you need to document them, but it's all really sort of common sense stuff, such as optimal privacy must be built in by default from the start, not added on later on after the data has escaped. It shouldn't be made contingent on the user activating a series of options to enable their privacy, assuming they ever had any at all. Good example Hmm. of that is LinkedIn, which is just the poster child for bad UX. Recently put in a feature that if you are looking on the LinkedIn website or app, you are visible to anyone who's looking on LinkedIn, LinkedIn, they can see that you're online looking at it. And you had to to go in and switch that off by default to be- Yeah, the the chats or the messaging, the LinkedIn messaging section. I hadn't seen that. I've actually activated the privacy, all the privacy settings for my account. So nobody can see me when I look at their profiles and stuff like that. But I had to activate it uh, intentionally. So Mm. for me, it was turned on by default as soon as they introduced it and then I had to go in and switch it off. And in the beginning of this week, I went on I go onto LinkedIn for 30 seconds in the morning mainly to remind myself how much I hate it. And <laughs> splash screen pops up and says, "Look at this great new feature. Now people can see you online. We've activated it." So, with me having proactively switched it off, they'd switched it back on. Oh my god. Mm. So that, wow. is, that is just a classic example of mm. how not to do privacy by default and mm. design. So don't do silly things like that. Um, mm. Other aspects of PBD are things like you have to be transparent. You have to be open. And a big part of that is the privacy notices, which are no longer the, the legal mumbo jumbo in the footer 
you now have to be completely transparent and open about what you're doing with your data, who you're sending it to, how you're storing it, who you're sharing it with, what third countries you're transferring it to if you're moving it out of the European Union. So it's about being transparent about what you're doing with the data, but also about your own approach to privacy. And it's like I said at the beginning, we have, and again, I'm not starting to start a cultural war, but we have American developers in particular who are like, I don't have to follow European rules. I'm not in Europe. To which I would say to them, okay, well, show me what privacy steps you do use if you're not going to follow what's prescribed by a law in another country. What do you do then? And if they just say, well, we care about privacy. No, that's not good enough. Show your work. Remember, they used to say that in school on your new, on your mm -hmm. math homework. <laughs> Show your work. From a, so again, from a design point of view, or interaction design point mm -hmm. of view, um, something really practical for us, and we're going to have to be thinking about and including when in various flows or various sequences that we're going to um, explain mm -hmm. to, mm -hmm. to to customers or visitors that we're going to start collecting. So are we going to, yeah. that's what you've got to say, not only that you're collecting, <clears throat> but also what you're using it for. Yes. And how long you're going to use it for. It's, it's, it's those three aspects, isn't it, of, so of data you need to explain. UX designers have a really good constructive challenge ahead in which they have to, um, they have, a, a big part of GDPR is consent. Consent is mm -hmm. not required for any for everything. But where consent is required, it has to get a lot better. So, excuse me, your challenge is to make really good, efficient, compliant, informative consent processes without everybody repeating the cookie law consent fiasco, mm -hmm. where yeah. everyone got consent fatigue or just ignored things because they were completely irrelevant. So what the good news is, is that this challenge is being adopted and met. I've been seeing some absolutely fantastic work on things like prototypes for better consent. And maybe I'll share a link to that in the show notes. But people are coming up with some really clever, creative ways to inform people in a user-friendly, non-legalese, constructive manner to get away from what we have now, which is this, this sense that if you use a site or app, you're consenting to whatever the hell we want to do with your data. And if you don't like it, delete your account. We're going to mm -hmm. get away from that to GDPR is about your data is yours. It's mine. It's not the company's anymore. It's yours. Mm -hmm. So all of these little UX changes, whether it's consent or privacy notices, are about empowering people to have better control over their own data, which maybe that's just the way it should have been all along. And if... This is what it's taken to get here. At least we're going forward on better feet. So I love what you're saying about, because, I mean, the messages are really clear. Mm -hmm. It's about conversations, and it always has been. We always have to be having these conversations, and it's about documenting. Mm -hmm. But as sort of a guide point for us who haven't started these conversations yet, how much time should we be spending on talking about these GDPR issues mm -hmm. if we are at a company that handles customer data? Mm -hmm. You absolutely need to make it your job because you can't assume that they have. You can't assume that the client that you're sitting down with knows a thing about this. I mean, we've all had clients who basically phone you on Monday because they wrote a really great idea on a beer mat on a Sunday afternoon. And they just want to take it forward. And you, it's, it's down to you to say, do you know that your business idea is actually illegal? <laughs> um, and again, to, to go back to the, the 
the, the example I gave at the beginning, you can have someone who's really keen on getting it right, but they're thinking about it in terms of their own internal business practices, you know, their customer records. How long do I keep sales records for? They're not actually thinking about, oh, by the way, the thing you're, the thing we're developing is capturing all sorts of data. Yeah, it is your responsibility to start the conversation. It's not your responsibility to make sure they're compliant, but you should be billing for this accordingly as well. Because again, it's about business processes. The UX on the front is only the outcome of the business processes that go into it. And this is the point where you're becoming something more than a front end designer. You're becoming an integral part of building healthy business processes. So charge accordingly. So Heather's encouraging us to yes. pay rises. <laughs> I like this. <laughs> That's incentive for us. Absolutely. So we're not. So we don't need to panic about May. Oh no. We just need to. We just need to to. Well, tweak our working processes so we've got this uh, this properly embedded in in what we're doing every day. It's a fantastic toolkit. It will empower you as designers. It will protect your customers. It will protect the people in the data. Because remember, even if they're using a free service, even if we never pay a cent for Twitter. Your data is the currency. Not not to drag the, the tone of the podcast down, but there's so many horrible things happening in politics right now. We're hearing about travel bans and databases of people by religion. And you have to think of how the data you're collecting, even as innocuous as it might seem, could be aggregated into something bigger. Whether it's the location data on an app that you might not want to be seen where you've been yeah, mm. or financial data or people are coming up with new ways to hurt people and they're doing so mm. with data. So think of the ways that even the most innocuous data that's passing through your systems could be misused and abused to hurt people mm. and mm. do what you can to prevent that reckoning from ever happening. I think we've mentioned that before as well about um, something you've brought up pair about asking yourself as a designer, um, how can my design be used to hurt people? Yeah. Mm-hmm. As a, as, a, as a way of stress testing mm. um, your, you know, what you're producing. Mm-hmm. I saw someone on Twitter actually the other day thinking about anti-personas as well. Uh, who do we not want to help uh, as well? I'm thinking of the unawareness issue because you, what you just said made me think of, of GPS data and photos. So you have a service that actually allows users to upload mm-hmm. uh, photos, but you're even completely unaware that that contains GPS data. It does, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I mean there are so many ways this can go wrong because companies uh, designers developers aren't even aware of the data they're handling no so one of the things with GDPR is data minimization which is again the questions you need to ask in your PIA do we need to capture this data why are we capturing it if you don't need it don't collect it hmm. if you're going to have um GPS data on photos, make it optional, switch it off from default. If people want GPS data on their photos, they have to actively turn it on. So you've got to, so, so, uh, so that now we're actually speaking directly to Apple and, and Google then on, and their phones and their operating mm-hmm. systems that they, people should have turned that on by themselves intentionally. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be on by default. Exactly. You be throwing, mm-hmm. So you need to be throwing away, you need mm-hmm. to be mm-hmm. uh, knowingly and actively throwing away data mm-hmm that might accidentally be coming into you. Mm-hmm. 
Is, it, is what we're also saying now. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's not good enough to say that, well, you know, the, the, the photos have already got GPS data in. So, you know, we just, we just received it. That, that, I guess, is not good enough. Or if you're unaware, it, it's, it, that's not good enough either. You can't be unaware because you need to be having the conversations, yes. which will allow, us you to, allow you to actually find out, do I know about all the data that's going on here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ooh, so much to think about. Yeah. <laughs> But I, but I love how this is heading us in a, in a, in a, in a really good direction yes. mm-hmm. um, because ultimately it's, it's going to give people a better experience of, of using the, the internet or products and yeah. web. And that's what we all stand for. Yeah. So it's a positive thing. I think that's a good note to end on. Yes. And mm. um, it is positive. It's constructive. Don't be afraid of it. Don't look at it as, it as oh my God, it's the law. Um, there is a lot of rubbish out there. Um, don't let anyone scaremonger you. Don't let anyone make you think this is about billion pound fines and things like that. It's not. It's about taking proactive steps to protect the users in your data, improving your own internal business processes and making your corner of the web, however small it is, a bit of a better place to be. Thank you so much, Heather. This Anytime. Really useful. So you want to go to Starbucks and steal some laptops? <laughs> yes. Yeah, let's do it. I'll bring my bag. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Great talking to you guys, as always. Well, one, one thought that, come, that comes up straight away was about um, when, I'm, when we're doing research. Um, and and we, we've, we've always had the, um, the consent forms when you're doing interviews and so on, that you, you get people to sign and so on. Um, but now with other tools, there's there's so many other ways you could end up gathering personally identifiable information as part of your research, and you know that that gets shared, it gets reused, and so on. Yeah, so, that's um, right. I was thinking about. I mean, I record a lot of the interviews I do. Yeah, I put them in a folder on my computer, and I yeah. I need to be aware that they're there and I need to be held responsible if they get lost. And and, and yeah. also, yeah, properly be be open and, and, and upfront with what you're going to use exactly. them for so and, I, and how long you're going to... I not only t- ask, is it okay if I record? Mm. I say, I'm going to save this file for six months. Mm. Uh, I may share it with the three people in the, in the research team. Mm. Uh, I'm going to store it uh, at, in this place, and after that, I'll delete it. Yeah. So there's mm. a, I suppose mm. there's aspects of this. Like if you don't need to record mm. the person's face, mm. don't record the person's face, yeah. maybe. I mean, I know there's some interview situations mm-hmm. where it would be useful to see it. Um, True. And also, if I, I can ask the person's name uh, before I record, uh, if I'm ret- just recording sound. Yeah. Uh, and also, um, ask yourself, mm-hmm. do you need to know their name? Yeah. So if you don't need to know their name, mm. don't put that as the file name. Exactly. Um, or maybe mm. you, create a, you, you create a kind mm. of, um, not encrypted version, mm. but you could, you could actually um, generate something that was, a, was an identifier but um, wasn't connected to their name. Exactly. See what we're doing here, James? We're having a conversation, oh. which we could document, which would make us GDPR compliant. Yeah. Because there would be a history, traceable history of what decisions we took to protect people's privacy. It would show that. Mm. Yeah, no, it was an audit trail again. Isn't yeah. It? Yeah, because I think some tools, I've noticed that well, Hotjar, the tool I use for, for, for research, they've, they've been pretty good with GDPR. They've They've... They've emailed out very specific stuff saying, this is our plan. This is our mm. roadmap. This is, um, this is what we're hoping to do. Mm. And um, we're doing more and more as the months go on. Um, 
Oh, that's impressed me because I've thought about things like um, Hotjar when it does mm. collect lots of data and you can you can quite easily accidentally collect a lot of data, mm. especially if you're doing like screen recordings and forms and things. I mean, exactly. you just need you just need email addresses and date of births and you're oh you've got too much data. I like that because then you're you're saying you're not you don't need to only have the conversations with other people in your organization. You need to be having them with customers, consumers, with all the different stakeholders out there. And hearing their fears and worries, because those are the fears and worries you need to address in the design. Yeah. So, 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 so with with your work as a designer, it's not just the the privacy issues concerning the the design you're delivering. Mm. It's also the back end people and the organization yeah. and your design pro your research processes mm. maybe even part yeah. of this too. You need to, to know about of. those those things because mm. you need to communicate them to to the users. Yeah, and yeah, to the mm. the, the research yeah. participants. Yeah. One thing we didn't talk about was criticisms of GDPR, and one I heard recently was how uh, Facebook are saying that they have a suicide prevention algorithm, so they can actually predict when people are about to commit suicide. Uh, based on what they're saying and how they're behaving on Facebook. And they're now saying that they won't implement that algorithm in Europe because uh, because uh, because of GDPR and because they won't get enough consent from people. It's too hard to get consent from people for all the data they need for that suicide prevention algorithm to work. So they're using mm. so so are they trying to use GDPR as a uh, as an excuse for getting more data or well it sounds well or they, i don't know what they're doing but they're saying ddpr is bad for that thing which inherently is good because it's suicide prevention uh, and it's scary how that communication is going on because i mean is facebook a public company really an entity that should be mm -hmm. doing this are they the ones that should be preventing uh, with a proprietary uh, algorithm that they have come up with trying to prevent or, or, I mean, pr work with social is issues of any kind in that way. Yeah, you've got that whole social yeah. corporate responsibility. Mm -hmm. um, and Facebook <sighs> is where a lot of people get hurt, where people are being called names and, and, and yeah, and being threatened and harassed as well. So, I mean, where's the balance that they're talking about, really? It, mm. It's scary when they use GDPR as an excuse and making that look bad when 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 obviously they could be working another way as yeah. well and, and facebook and, mm. and even google as well when you've got mm. entities which mm. are effectively public utilities mm. but are run as as as, um, as businesses mm. then the all kinds of weird mm. effects get thrown up so if you are working at a company then that i mean it's hard for you to know who is responsible how how will i be heard uh, and you have to think about these privacy by design issues Who's going to listen to you? I think this is the mm -hmm. this is by far the mm -hmm. biggest challenge we're mm -hmm. going to have mm -hmm. is, is is yeah is knowing who's responsible and also or seeing yourself as a designer when when does my responsibility end and start mm -hmm. um, and you know you can't sit back and go well someone else is going to do that or my organisation um, hasn't prepared me for this mm -hmm. so it's not my job to do it yeah um, so that's somebody else's problem yeah mm -hmm. it's another silo's problem yeah um, but I don't I mean. It, We've, we've we talked about the the privacy. Well, um, Heather talked about the privacy impact assessment. Mm. Um, and we've mentioned, or you've mentioned, uh, risk. Was yeah, impact risk assessment. Is yeah. When I talk about ethics, that's what I talk about. That's how you evaluate all the things that could potentially go wrong. Yeah, and we also mm. have the. I mean, the security mm. a security risk assessment mm. is is part of a, mm. a development process mm. normally too. Um, where, you know, so. so 
But if they don't exist on a kind of corporate level or an organizational level mm. in, in your uh, what you're working with, I mean, you still could do something. I was thinking about... Yeah. I mean, from, you, from your own point of view, like do a self-assessment. Uh, who do I want to be as a designer? What do I want to work with? Do I want to consider privacy by design? Well, then I can take a stand on my own and actually do that. Yeah. But it's also, your, I mean, you've got your, you've got a personal design process, mm. even if you're maybe following a specific mm. design process mm. in the organization you're mm. working with, you still, I mean, we've, we've a few times painted the definition of UX as, I mean, UX is mm. not an occupation, mm. it's, it's more of a belief system. Mm. And you know, as part, um, part of that belief system is providing good user experience, doing good things for the user. Yeah. So privacy and, and GDPR and the data handling aspect is part of doing that good things for the doing that, doing good doing yeah. good stuff for the user. Yeah. So it's part of our, our UX um, framework. Well, it's our core for. belief system. It's exactly. why we got into this profession in the first place. So so maybe mm. you, it maybe it actually is a good first step or a, a sufficient first step in many many situations where if you do. Um, uh, an assessment of the privacy data issues for what you're working on. Mm. You, you, maybe you don't even need to share it anywhere. It's documentation for you. Yeah. I like that. Then you don't need to wait for someone to give you a, a template or a, uh, or a directive. Yeah. Um, and and when, whenever it comes up in meetings, uh, these issues, you'll have thought about them enough to actually become someone who can take the lead uh, to help other people understand why you're doing it and how you're doing it. Mm. Thank you for joining us today um, with all our EU legalese that we've burdened you with, but I think it's pretty useful for you all. Links and show notes from this episode can be found on uxpodcast.com. Please add us to your podcasting client of choice if you haven't, or if you haven't already and aren't already a subscriber. And we love to hear from you. And if Twitter isn't your thing, then email us at hey at uxpodcast.com. And you can use either the American way of spelling hey with a Y or the Swedish way of spelling hey with a J. We'll let you choose. Remember to keep moving. See you on the other side. Who's there? Police. Police who? Police let me in. It's cold out here. <laughs>